broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area, and we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio, and we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's in their studio because they talk to people who are, are serious about food and that's what we are at Fairway is we're serious about food. We we just care very deeply about about you as a as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain and and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio because it, it it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it and and care about learning everything there is to learn about it and that's that's we're kindred spirits if it's something worth having in your kitchen you're going to find it at, at fairway and if there's somebody worth talking to about food you're going to find them on heritage radio and we will be supporting you guys for a long long time at fairway i'm your personal grocer steve jenkins fairway market And welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And we are the ladies of Groundworks, Inc. We design, install, and maintain gardens in and around New York City. On today's show, we go digging around our very own backyard, the Brooklyn neighborhood where Groundworks is based, Gowanus. Named for the infamous Gowanus Canal, our own oily patch of waterfront. (laughs) (laughs) With a deep history. Yes, very deep. Um, in In a story titled, A Brief History of Slime... Christopher Bonanos in New York Magazine writes, Once known as the Gas House District, the area around the Gowanus Canal is the only underdeveloped section of brownstone Brooklyn. For good reason. The canal is disgusting. Here's his description of the canal's foul past and potential future. Future being what we're going to talk about today. Yes, exactly. Um, according to his article, the canal was built in the mid-19th century where a creek once meandered and served foundries, coal yards, and paint and ink factories. In 1910, a local businessman was already describing the canal's water as almost solid with sewage. The next year, a 6,200-foot underground tunnel fitted with a 7-foot propeller was opened to flush the canal with fresh seawater. And that worked until 1961 when the pump broke. <laughs> and then local lore says the city worker dropped a manhole cover on it. I always wondered why, yeah, it, why it stopped Who knows? Working. Well, apparently, according to the article, it wasn't fixed until 1999. And it's supposed to be fully overhauled by the DEP. That's what I had read. Who knows? So anyway, um, what's in the canal? Also, according to this article, the industrial plants that line the canal handle just about every nasty thing that could end up in the water. 
certain oily pollutants like coal tar that are customarily measured in parts per million are in the Gowanus measured in parts per hundred. Heavy metals like mercury and lead are present. So are PCBs and pesticides. And then we have to talk about the smaller life forms that are in there. The microbes, cholera, typhoid, typhus, gonorrhea, they've all been found in the water. <laughs> A team of biology professors at New York City College of Technology have also studied a curious white goo oozing along the bottom, which turned out to be a mixture of bacteria, protozoans, and various contaminants. And apparently, these microbes appear to have evolved resistance to the filth in the canal, and the scientists have been trying to figure out whether their disease-fighting mechanisms could be adapted for medical use. So there might be some good in that goo. Goodbye, gonorrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, today we have two great guests with us live in the studio, Jeff Hutchinson and Eric Mardik, who work um, tirelessly with the Gowanus Canal Conservancy. Eric Mardig is an Ohio native who grew up gardening, raising poultry, and working on a large-scale hay and grain farm. He moved to New York City in 2008 with a degree in landscape architecture and has worked at several landscape design offices. He currently manages Grow New York City's compost project and started the Gowanus Canal Conservancy's um, composting Gowanus project in January 2011. Eric is a 2011 graduate of the New York City Compost Project's Master Composter Certificate course and has volunteered over 100 hours to the development of the Conservancy's compost project. So it's obvious that Eric has a passion for compost, including its microbiological benefit to soil and plants as well as its future role as green infrastructure. Welcome, Eric. It's good to be here. And Jeffrey Hutchinson was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is probably a lot cleaner than the Gowanus Canal, right? I would slightly. Say. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> I'm sure there's an industrial canal through there somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just looks so much more beautiful, I think. Um, he's he's stu- a veneer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he studied dance and psychology at the University of California before undertaking doctoral work in cognitive science at Brown University. He abandoned the academic world in 2008 for a new path. He now lives in New York City where he gardens, dances, farms, and lives an artful life. His focus has shifted increasingly towards creating gardens and exploring the ecology of New York City, which manifests itself in his collaboration with Christina Kelly, called Husk, and a number of projects along the Gowanus Canal. Welcome. Thank you. So we have two composting experts here. Tell us a little bit about Gowanus. Oh, well, you just made me think I don't want to ever go back there. <laughs> no, but you guys are doing excellent work to change all that negative. It's co- negative connotations. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like at the precipice right now. It's like it's it's reached its low point And now it's like I guess it could get worse. There's always more that you could do to it, I'm sure. But it's at this point where it's starting to come back and it's becoming something new. So there's a lot of excitement there. Yeah. Tell us about the Conservancy, what what their basic mission is and, and what drew you all to to. Uh, to work with it. Well, we're we're an environmental uh, stewardship nonprofit, so we we're boots on the ground cleaning things up mm-hmm. um, the way that we know how. Uh, we're not s- experts at what we're doing, but we know that we need to get out there and start cleaning it up. Right. So community effort. That's right. right. So on a, on a monthly basis, we do volunteer days where we bring kids down, give them. Uh, shovels, give them trash bags, and let's go at it. Mm -hmm. Because there's a a lot of kind of abandoned lots down there, and there's a lot of old car 
parts fix it places uh, and like <laughs> who knows what you're gonna find in yeah. the canal uh we've pulled out shopping carts um yeah you know just what is going on so i mean look bet midler and her organization started with one patch at a time and look what they've accomplished right, right. Yeah. you know right. in the 25 years so um we feel really good about what you guys are doing um so jeff we have uh alice and i have had a lot of artists working with us as as gardeners um there's uh, such a collaboration yeah, between tell us art and what, gardening. Yeah, tell us what you, how you what kind of connection you see there and how it works for you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's vast, really. But um, for me, it's sort of part of my personal history in terms of my family, a lot of gardeners and everything. So I, I've always had it as part of my life. But in terms of it coming up with and together with my artistic practices, it's it's just so, so amazing to watch a seed go through the whole process of sprouting and turning into a plant and growing along and developing fruit and on and on. And it's so sensorial. You have all of, you have your sense of sight and taste and touch and feel. Everything's there. So there's just so much inspiration to draw from plants. Um, and and gardening, you know, taking those and putting them into a design and everything like that. You, you're really exercising so many um, artistic capacities in gardening. So. And doesn't it seem like when you move to an industrial area, it becomes more of an emphasis? Even though you grew up with it, it just becomes more highlighted like, oh my God, this this place is lacking in nature. And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, well, yeah like you just want to be outside barefoot and, and you can't. Yeah. And, well, I, I moved to New York City from, um, from living out in the Redwoods in, in yeah. Santa Cruz. <laughs> Wow. I I lived in a garage on a farm with a skylight looking up at redwood trees. And then Uh I moved to uh, Carroll Gardens with a view of the BQE. Uh, Yeah. So it it really, for me, there was really a point where I was like, I just have to, if I can plant a tree, if I can raise a tomato, like anything that I can do in the city to bring a little bit more green to it. Yeah. Like I just have to do that. I have to find ways. I got obsessed with houseplants um, and my roommates were like, stop bringing houseplants home <laughs> because I didn't have an out- outdoor space. But I was like, I need this green and these vines and, you know, something. And uh, it it just it, it's it's crazy how the lack of something really emphasizes the need for it. Yeah, definitely. So, Eric, you're also, besides working with um, the Gowanus Conservancy, you also work with Grow New York City's Compost Correct. Project. So tell us about what they do in the city and, and, and what their goals are. Well, Grow NYC has uh, uh, 53 green markets throughout the city. And uh, at seven of those markets, uh, we do residential scrap collection. Um, and then that's that's sent to a commercial facility where it's composted. Um by the sanitation department? Do they do no, it? Or it's, no, it's commercially hauled. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so we've we've collected over three hundred thousand pounds of of scraps since the beginning of um, March. Uh, wow! But, you know that's that's small peas when you think about the one million tons of material I every know. year in New York City that I goes read, into I the landfill. I think a statistic was sixty percent of our waste is compostable. Does that sound right to you? Uh, uh, that sounds a little off from my uh, view. I believe it's seventeen percent. Oh, really? Uh, which is still a phenomenal amount of right, waste. Right. Yes. Maybe, maybe it's recyclable. Yeah. Maybe the that includes recyclable. Yeah, that that's be. probably. So food food scraps make up about seventeen percent. Seventeen percent. Yes. Of our waste. Right. Yeah. And uh, there there are a number of other things besides food scraps that you could be recycled or could be composting or could be added to compost like newspapers or, or things along those lines. So right. The brown matter. Yeah. Right. So depending on what you look at, there's 
It probably inches up towards 25, 30%. Yeah. So you all, um, down in Gowanus, tell us about your lot that we had a chance to go visit and and what you're doing that's different from the Grow New York City composting. Well, uh, the difference between Grow NYC and and what we're doing is we're actually composting material. We have a site uh, with DSNY. um, Uh And and so we're down there actually able to produce a, a very quality product from uh, food scraps and um, I think you know Jeff can talk about the, the landscape itself the landscape yeah. or waste yeah well, <laughs> so so we're we have a small section of a DSNY salt lot which right. where the the um, where they store the salt for um, paving or for um, clearing snow and everything over right the and this is right just so our listeners understand this is in industrial Brooklyn right on the canal yeah so it's actually pretty beautiful the location is. I think it's beautiful, spectacular it's from a certain perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I love it. I, I always, I call it the wild, wild west. I've like found myself dressing more like a cowboy now that I go down there. So like, <laughs> but I didn't notice any salt there yet. They haven't gotten. Oh, their it's d- there now. They oh, just, it's. Yeah, I was going to say now, when yeah, we were there we a couple of weeks ago, there was no, there was no salt. But I was like, I'm waiting for the big mountain, yeah, to come. Well, that's that's kind of the beauty of of um of our situation in some ways is that the salt lot is underused nine months out of the year when yeah. there's no snow. Right. Um, the DSNY does have some things coming in and out of there throughout the year, but for the most part, there's not a lot of action there. It's beautiful, empty land. Yeah. Waterfront land. Yeah. So let's use it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Totally. Let's not put a condo on it. Let's make no. a park, <laughs> like something useful out of it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, and uh, the Guanas Conservancy has already started to landscape that area a little uh-huh. bit. Um, we have a street end garden there, and then um, we've done some landscaping along the entire uh, edge of the canal that's running along the river. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, um, it's starting to take shape, and you can start to see these ideas of what this, these spaces could be um, with our, our infrastructure of a composting facility, the, the rain gardens that have put in to help prevent more waste from going into the canal. Mm-hmm. Lots of little things that people are able to do on a small scale that makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you guys have like a little storage unit mm-hmm. for your your supplies and your shovels and your rakes and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you have how many compost bins are there? Uh, we have uh, five cubic yard bins from uh, pallets that we've, you know, they're everywhere down in the canal. You just pick one up, <laughs> uh, right. toss some nails in it, and you've got a bin. So that's right. how we started. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you guys get, where do you get your, your waste from? Tell us about that because that's a pretty interesting story well um my next door neighbor is is a regular attendee of uh south side coffee and i went over there one day back in march and said hey you guys want to start composting with guanas mm-hmm. uh they're like absolutely you know so from that we you know the owner of south side also part owns lot two restaurant mm-hmm. uh so so they got on board um we got them buckets and uh uh that we started hauling it on bicycle trailers. On bicycles, so, right. Yeah. I love that. Uh, on a weekly basis, <laughs> you can see me um, frantically rolling down the streets with, uh, <laughs> with a, load of, of <laughs> a load of buckets on the back. But, <laughs> hey, you know, you got to start somewhere small that's right. and get it going. And less carbon footprint, so that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. We have to take a break. Hang on. Uh, you're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back.
Hi, welcome back to We Did Plans. You were just listening to Surf the Wild Gowanus. Alice, you find the most amazing songs that relate to our topic. <laughs> just an iTunes search. <laughs> By Simon Charchet and Bar Sinister, Surf the Wild Gowanus. It seems, seems like a good song. Well, there's a the lot Gowanus. of artists doing work down there. Yeah, so, yeah so many. Yeah. So um, we were just talking about composting, coffee, and food scraps. And uh, full disclosure, Alice and I just started partnering with um, Eric and Jeff. Mm-hmm. trying to introduce some, um, bra- I guess, the green part of the waste, right? The leaf clippings and things like that to balance out the um Well, we have so much brown. landscape waste, you yeah. know, from garden cleanups. And what we were doing is bagging it up and then paying to cart it some schmo There's to come and pick it up. And that seemed really silly for years. We mm-hmm. were looking for a local group to to partner with and then here and you nobody guys wants it nobody you know we, no. we yeah. approach the botanic garden nobody wants and you'd think they'd want it you know but nobody did it's, it's a challenge and that's that's truly what our project started out of was we couldn't send our scraps our our own weeds anywhere so right what do you do it, with it? the necessity right. was there to well you know we have to compost it ourselves and that's that's what the whole project kind of stems out of. Herein lies a major initiative, right. and that and that is everyone has that story of how do we stop doing the, what we're doing right now? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So where does it stand right now with your relationship um, under the umbrella organization of the Conservancy, but then you're using New York City land that's technically owned by Department of Sanitation? Talk for a minute about that if you can, because that's that's. Um, well, I mean, that's we the are, hardest thing are, is finding space. Absolutely, and and we are grateful to be to be on that spot, and we we thank DSNY every day mm-hmm. to be there. Um, we cannot do what we do without having a space to to hub ourselves on. So, uh, you know, and it just came from from swinging by, seeing the space, and getting in touch with the people who own it. That's a long process, too, and, to and navigate through the bureaucracy. Many, right, and many thanks to Andy, our chairman, and Hans, who have, have done tremendous, have, have put forth a lot of work to get that, to secure that spot. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, Alice and I have found over the years of, you know, of living in New York all these years, you know, New York is huge, but it's really small. And we find that Brooklyn is really a small town. It operates like a small town. It's, you know, just knowing the right person. And then suddenly, like, the doors open. You know, there's, there's like a struggle and a battle. And then the right person says yes. And it happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Isn't that, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of always working that way. It's a New York story. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, I want you to put on your landscape architect's hat for a minute. Um, because we've been talking about the past of the Gowanus Canal and what's happening. And we want to talk a little bit about the future. Um, there's lots of different plans out there. One is the Gowanus Sponge Park plan. Um, tell us about, you know, now that you have time into it and, and some experience and with your landscape architecture background what what do you think you know in your opinion is, is a good plan and a good way if you to, were given the commission yeah <laughs> you could do whatever you wanted to do down there and the budget to do it what, what would you do well I mean I think that they've done a great job in, in looking at at let's clean the water that's going into the canal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great thing. Let's start capturing that water and cleaning, keeping it clean before it's going in. Um, but 
well, everyone's going to say but, and we can all point fingers. But, you know, I would say, and when one of the things my criticisms in within landscape architecture is, w- where does infrastructure start to fit into the future of design? Uh, we're we're concerned about the the aesthetic beauty and and those things, but um, gardens have the ability to to clean and cleanse, um, and that's that's an infrastructural value mm-hmm. that. You, should be assessed mm-hmm. and should be designed into it, no matter w- what that landscape architect's or, uh, landscape architect's thought is on on the landscape. Um, so I would I would put in some compost bins. bins. Um, <laughs> Start small, <Yeah. laughs> right? Build but big. I really yeah. think that um, the the challenge is just in the multiple ownership of all these pieces of land. How yeah. how can you implement something? and work with who's there it's, it's right a, it's the, yeah. the ongoing battle of because it's a mixed neighborhood it's residential it's industrial um and it's very old i mean the the canal was built in the mid to late 1800s is that right yeah. and um and now you know it's being gentrified slowly mm-hmm. on either kind of bookend you know and i mean those were always established residential neighborhoods with this industrial neighborhood right in the middle but now people artists you know it's starting just because of real estate too they're starting to kind of seep in to that that neighborhood pardon that bad pun (laughs) but i mean there's concrete (laughs) plants there you know daily when alice and i go to our space there's the big scrap metal you know loading into a bar i love i watch that all the time i can watch that giant like it's just arm. throwing. I'm just curious how much of that's going right into the canal. I know. Yeah. It's supposed Come to be on. on the barge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then also, just for our non-New York listeners, the F train subway goes right over the top of this. Mm-hmm. So visually, it's a very interesting piece of property. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the square footage of of the... We've got three quarters of an acre. So you you all, yep. the composting project, have three quarters. No, the, the whole, that whole... Um, spot that we're on is three quarters of an the acre salt. Wow. we're it on seemed bigger it seems a lot bigger i guess <laughs> oh, it's a new york scale yeah. Yeah. New york yeah scale three quarters of acres a lot of land in yeah. New york yeah. City. yes like, it is we're land rich yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely but what's the what's the total distance of the canal the canal is 1.8 miles 1.8 miles yeah. so that's a lot of of land to develop and and think about use for and gardens right. and, and, and residential. I would, and I would say residential is, is going to help the area, but, uh, you know, the environmental issue is so prominent that how, can you really promote development there before it's clean? Exactly, uh, exactly. Did it get designated a super fun site? Yes. yes. It did. It yeah. did. So what are the implications of that uh, for... It, it means it's really as you understand we, it, all, yeah. <laughs> we all agree on that it's really bad and it needs something needs to be done so what's happening now um what i've observed happening just being down there is um they're collecting data on okay. actual contaminants they're looking at um potential ways to handle that where to take it i mean once you 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 can dredge the canal dredge it, and then right. once you dredge that what do you do with all of the silt and right. stuff that you take out and the off-gassing right that? yeah the Where's off-gassing like how do you deal with that and and then beyond the actual just the canal itself you have all this residual pollution in all of the land that's around it 
So, for instance, Lowe's put a um, has a, a facility there now. Um, there's a store on off Ninth Street, yeah. and they had to do some remediation work in the in that land themselves before right. they could before even they build could do anything. Yeah, yeah, they're right up against the water mm-hmm. there with their yeah. big and Whole Foods line. is embarking on that same issue. I yeah. think that's kind of what the struggle with with Whole Foods because um, I know they have that plot, but they're kind of it's been trying years. to determine. Right whose responsibility the cleanup yeah. should be. And yeah, and I think the Superfund has some implications on that, so there's, right. there's more delays now. So It's a big political situation. Yeah, it, and it's it's incredibly difficult to do that work. I mean, to, yeah. to get years and years of oil and, and noxious things out of the ground is just... Right. There was some discussion about capping it, right? Putting like a layer of clay over it, mm-hmm. so... In sections, yeah. That's what they do at landfills. Yeah. Right. So, th- yeah, that's one of the ways that you can start to deal with um, with the um, the contaminants and keeping them out of things. But it, what it does is it encapsulates encapsulates them, and they'll be there. For so a, that cap, right. you'll have to replace. Years yeah. Later. What's the lifespan of that? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. it's one of these things that the more I look at these issues, I see that you know, once the the chemicals are there, you're going to have a really hard time getting them out. Right. I, I think people's attitudes aren't don't fully understand that yet um, as far as a lot of people have this idea of remediation like oh we can just get it out but it's that that process is is far more complicated than than obviously than putting it in right exactly and then the money i mean it's we're talking huge billions of dollars yeah so who's responsible for that you know because these are companies that long gone. are long gone so yeah. it's not like you can just go back to you know X, Y, and Z. And, and say, as Eric was saying, it's still being dumped into. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's be positive, though, yeah. for a second. And yeah. let's talk about, I know, I don't know quite the statistics on this, but I know the oyster population has grown in the in those waters because of the yeah, filtration the, system. Once they restored the filtration system a lot, um, there's been a lot that's come come back. Yeah. Um, Not edible. Please don't, yeah. yeah. Don't go edible in the canal. <laughs> um, but I, it's good to see. Yeah. I see I see lots of um, of life down there in general. Um, mm-hmm. There's cormants. There's two cormants that live uh, really close in that area. They're always flying around and frantic mm-hmm. about something. And, um, the weed. Frantic pop- about the pollutants <laughs> that are in their water. <laughs> Indignant. <laughs> Clean this up. Hey, humans. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one, one thing that I've gotten really interested is, is in the weed population that exists there. There's, there's a huge variety of plants that are existing down at the canal that have just taken hold there. They're, they're vagabonds. Um, and they, (laughs) they've just moved in and said, this is ours. And so there's, there's mugwort and, and Virginia creeper and on and on. Artemisia. Yeah. yeah. And obviously they can deal with the conditions. Yeah. And they're doing. Yeah. And. You know, it's funny as I like to pick some of the things that are more pretty, but then it's like these are contaminated. Yeah, <laughs> bring it home. Yeah, you're not going to be eating gift? these. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, there's no mustard greens from that. <laughs> from that, I read fall. that there was even white perch, herring, striped bass, crabs, jellyfish, and even anchovies have started to like populate it. Come back. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the the fiddler crabs down there in the summer, and they're, oh, they're cool. fun to watch because they're just these little guys playing they're their tiny. fiddle. So yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Life does exist, right? So, what's the future then of um, your composting project? Well, um, I think we hope to scale it up. We hope uh-huh. to. I, I would hope that it's not just your typical compost facility, but but it's um, tied directly to education and research development. Um, 
you know, if if we're looking at green jobs in the future, technology is is a strong component of that. And uh, I think that Jeff and I both have some really good ideas going forward with how how to go about doing that. Um, so we just we need to get our funding, and once we get that, uh, I think. I think we can go full steam and, and make it really cool. And when did you move onto the lot? Just recently, right? It hasn't. Uh, we've been we've had that shipping container, I believe, since two thousand nine. Um, okay. So the compost program started this summer. Right, right. Right. Okay. Cool. So, but you know, we we would love to see the site become a master composter training place. Right. You know, like let's bring kids down here and let's teach them what this is and. Uh, get them get them their certificates yeah. there right, and, right. Uh, and and I think hopefully um, we're setting a precedent um, if we can continue to to uh, build on the momentum that we have and expand our our program that we can build a precedent for community based ecologically based composting programs throughout the city so you can imagine one in Newtown Creek you can imagine right. one you know and all over in the Bronx people okay. shouldn't right. have to haul it far I mean right. honestly we have a lot of clients and we wish that we could just compost on site unfortunately yeah. you know it doesn't land, always work it no. doesn't work land is at a premium mm -hmm. and people won't pay attention to it and do and the work and they don't want to see it and they, I mean yeah. fact is yeah. nobody wants messiness in right. New York City nobody wants it that's why we we're proponents of, of community supported composting right and CSC right there, CSC, CSC. <laughs> and, and, and what that is is you know there are experts that want to compost. So mm -hmm. if you don't want to do it, just bring it to us. We do want to do it. And it's right. fun. So. Right. And you guys need some volunteers. We need tons of volunteers sometimes. <laughs> it's a lot of labor. It, yeah. It, but it's a labor of love, and uh, it really feels good to turn some compost. So let's talk for a second about some tips that you all can offer home gardeners. Based on your, your experience doing it larger scale. <laughs> Sure. Well, I'm, there's a lot of... You, Black gold, some yeah, might call compost. Yeah. There's The important thing to keep in mind is that you're, you're, you're making a recipe. You're, you're putting together different things. Um, you need certain components to put in. So you have to get that balance right. And there's a lot of ways to tell that, you know, if you have certain smells and you have, um, you know, th things are looking a certain way. There's a lot of things to, um, to go off of. Um, and so... Part of it, um, and part of even what we're doing now, um, is experimenting a little bit, finding the right blend of things that you have available, things that are around. If you have a bunch of leaves and, and a bunch of food, you're in good shape. These are things that you need, put mm -hmm. them together, and um, you know, start seeing what, what comes about. But there's a lot of great resources online and in the neighborhood, and mm -hmm. um, you can come visit us, and we'll... <laughs> Wherever you're at, if you're in a whatever your state is you just need to go to google type in the name of your state and extension and find out w what they have what mm -hmm. information they have available about composting for new york go to cornell's website cornell right. waste management institute amazing full of resources mm -hmm. um and that that gets you started but seriously i i started seven seven and a half years ago my mom gave me a book called uh Worms Eat My Garbage by Mary Applehoff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't at the time I didn't know how amazing that book was gonna be, but it has influenced every step of, of the way in in what I believe composting is. Um and that's a good starter book. You read it at night and uh you'll be composting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's good. Um one interesting thing about worms and New York City kids is I we've Carmen and I have done a lot of kind of community projects and 
And getting getting a New York City school kid to see the value of a worm is amazing. And when they first see it, you know, they're like squealing and oh my God, what is this thing? And then to realize the usefulness and the purpose and and they just love them, you know? And um, I remember, of course, growing up as a kid and daring my friend to eat them and, you know, (laughs) just all that like kid stuff. Yeah, my husband would eat them for a dollar too if he chewed. (laughs) 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 But that's Kansas, it's not New York City. (laughs) Anyway, I think it costs more in New York City, right? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> They're at Whole Foods. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe that's how we get funded. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A worm eating contest? Yeah, yeah. Stranger yeah. things have been done. We, well, there was a good children's book called How to Eat Fried Worms, yeah, which yeah, is a great book. Yeah, I do book. remember that one. Yeah. yeah. We have plenty of worms down a lot, so... Uh, yeah. We could start. That would be a good book event. That would yeah. be a good book event fundraiser for you guys. Yeah. So... All right, guys, we have to wrap it up for today. Um, You've been listening to Heritage Radio Network and We Dig Plants. And we had uh, some great guests from Compost Gowanus under the uh, Gowanus Conservancy. We were talking all about industrial waste and composting and Mm -hmm. land use. And a lot of topics were touched on. But we encourage our listeners to go to the website, gowanusconservancy.org, right, and learn more and volunteer um, and if you're not in Brooklyn per se, like Eric said, go to your state's extension agent. Every state has them. You get and, lots uh, of great resources and information. Get involved. So, well, you've been listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Our show is produced and engineered by Jack Inslee. And a special thanks goes out to our sponsor, Fairway Market. If you miss any part of the show, please note it is available via archive on the website, heritageradionetwork.com, and via podcast on iTunes. Please leave comments and or join our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants, or visit our website, groundworksgardens.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Eric and Jeff, for Thank joining you. us. Thank you. following is a message from Jones Family Farms. Jones Family Farms is a 400-acre working farm offering quality agricultural products all year round, from fresh summer berries to Christmas trees in the winter, and an award-winning winery that is open from April to December. The reach of the Jones Family Farms is hard to capture, from their advocacy work, through the Working Lands Alliance, to ongoing classes in the Harvest Kitchen. Jones Family Farms is as passionate about education as it is about farming. Whether you're picking fresh strawberries or exploring local wines, we hope you're inspired to learn more about Connecticut farming. Visit www.jonesfamilyfarms.com for more information.